This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Asia Torah here in the Old City. This class is called Practical Spirituality, and it is um, in the Old City of Jerusalem overlooking the Temple Mount. And uh, exciting times. We even have people off the wall today, which is great. Anyone else off the wall? Anyone else got here off the wall? Off the wall, meaning someone, someone said, hey, you Jewish? Or you want to hear a class? You, know, you guys are our off-the-wall guys today, so especially welcome. You know why? Because if, if you somehow wound up from down there up to here, did you do the stairs or the elevator? The elevator. If you wound up from down there up to here, it means God's got your address more than the person standing next to you. And it was orchestrating events. And this class is entitled, Why You Love Chaos. Some of us are, are kind of freaked out by the new year because we're, we're such chaos, chaos junkies that we just don't want another year of chaos. We were hoping this year might like come out a little more uh, balanced, a little more orderly, a little more you know, functional or whatever. Uh, but what we're discussing today is, is our addiction to chaos. Uh, Ellie, Mayor, you want to sit next to this guy? I like that spot a lot. If you don't, if you don't mind sitting there, I prefer but you can sit wherever you want. Anyway, the what is this addiction to chaos such that we... Uh, I mean, raise your hand in the room if you sabotage the order of your life regularly. Anyone here sabotage the order of their life regularly? <laughs> That's like most of you. I wasn't even expecting that. I figured maybe half of you sabotage the order of your life. And I'm the same, too. I literally... I don't know if I've ever had three days come out the same. And I'm talking about like major activities, like stuff you would expect me to be there, because it's like part of. Hi, welcome back. Um, it's like you would expect me to be there. There's a nice spot right here in the middle, uh, either here or there. So anyway, but I will sabotage it. When I get to that third day, I will get in my own way and make sure that somehow I changed it up in some in some way or another. And personally, it bothers me, but I see I do it, and it must be I love chaos. Somehow chaos serves me. And so I'd like to talk about a little bit about what is, our, what is this addiction and chaos we have. And it's not just us. You know, the, um, what would you think of like a, a financial guy who is like running a big, you know, fund or... Or, you know, in, in you know, Midtown or downtown Manhattan, and he's like, you know, got the suits just right, and like the haircut's just right, and he's got it all buttoned up. What do you say? He's more into order or more into chaos? Sounds like an order guy, right? Yeah, you go watch this guy during the year. He makes all these crazy bets on the stock market that literally put his, his, his every investor that's investing with him in jeopardy. Hey, what's up, ladies? Welcome, welcome. He, he puts he puts he puts all of his investors in jeopardy. He's putting his wife and kids in jeopardy. Now he looks like Mister Put Together. I mean, this guy is you know he he actually reports properly at the end of the year to his accountants and you know like he's got everything buttoned up probably more than you do. Yet he is addicted to chaos. Come here a soundbite at least. Not you. I was talking to ra- this rabbi here. Hey, do rabbi. What's up? I was talking about our, our addiction to chaos. 
Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. Look at these kids. Is that your daughter? Grandkids. It works. Tour works. You get grandkids. Even the, the married one's a grandkid? Yeah, I'm, I'm a daughter. Yeah, it's the daughter. Okay. Yeah, you're not that old yet. I, I, the reason it's I made, I made her, begged him to come in was because when I got to Israel with my long hair, like I had a hundred of these coming down my back. So I actually have a picture of the two of us on my phone. You gave that to me, I think. Yeah, Something like that. Anyway, right, this guy, this guy saved my life. Yeah. One of the people. One of the people. Brother Sam. Samuel. Well, Sam sent me. But anyway, welcome, welcome. So we're talking about chaos and how we love chaos. And I was even saying that a guy, a stock trader, who seems like the most put together, uh, you know, guy in the world, is constantly going into chaos and loves it. Loves it. Couldn't live without it. And, you know, he should be doing maybe a little more responsible job with the money that people are investing in him, but yet he'll take risks. He'll put it all on the line over and over again because he loves it. In other words, we're addicted to chaos. Well, chaos has a big history when it comes to creation. In fact, what does the very beginning of the Torah say? In the beginning. What was there? Tohu vavohu. How do you translate that in English? Chaos. It started with chaos. And what was that chaos? Well, when you ask the Kabbalists, it was darkness and light were mixed. It was a mixture of darkness and light. And when God said, let there be light, I know you were all thinking there was no light and then there was light. No. What it means is that the darkness and light were mixed in chaos. And God said, let there be light. He separated the light from the darkness to make order. And our world of order is ultimately a relationship of darkness and light because God's obviously light. And this world, you know, like the light over here, this, this is light, and that's filtering light with darkness. I'm creating darkness. But when you use darkness and light together, it creates an image. So by blocking light, we actually get the image on the board. So the, the darkness and light are very important things. And, and it's hard to tell which one exactly is cast and which one's order, because light just kind of goes and goes and goes and when something expands it creates chaos and darkness creates order out of chaos when you're watching a film which is ultimately light going through the cells so those cells are creating order because going to a film and just watching light on the screen would be and the purest form of chaos it's just pure light that's expanding out of the projector but by limiting that light with some darkness you now have and you can enjoy the film experience which is chaos and order in relationship. Chaos is where you grow. Order is where you feel safe. Think about it. The more orderly your life is, the safer you feel. So order has a place. It feels safe. Chaos has a place because we grow there. You won't grow from order. You just don't grow there. One of the th- a couple of things people love to do, for example, travel. How many of you are traveling right now? Or how many are... Anyone here traveling right now? Traveling? Okay. That's chaos. You're creating chaos. And you actually spent money on it. You actually invested your money and time for chaos. Because you never know what's going to happen when you travel. Oh, there's a lot more variables. Going on. One great Rebbe said that, that it's a mitzvah to travel. Rabbi Nachman said there's a mitzvah to travel. Why? Because it, it gives God a lot more variables to play with. 
so he can be involved with you in ways that he probably couldn't be involved with you in your like regular Bermuda triangles of like home work gym or home work cafe where you get your coffee. You know, it's a very limited amount of variables. Once you start traveling, God can just pull out all kinds of crazy things and and you grow a lot from the chaos of the travel. Yeah. Isn't the big of the chaos like that you don't want to look inside yourself? It's sort of like it's a way to avoid moving from within. So that's already like dysfunctional relationship to chaos. Um, meaning when we're afraid to look inside because of the chaos that could bring and you ever felt that way like you just don't want to open it up you know you don't want to go in there because it's going to be chaos in there you know chaos prevents you from it's a distraction from looking inside yourself oh I see what you're saying sorry I was going much deeper than that sorry Um, yeah chaos can can be a distraction from, from looking inside. So therefore people like, they get addicted to it because they're afraid to look inside. And then they wound up not growing. So pur- purposefully they, they put chaos into their life so they don't have to look inside. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty pretty dysfunctional. <laughs> Which is what I said the first time when I misunderstood him. But it's only getting worse. The, the you know, I, I run a program where my whole job is to put everyone in the program in chaos. I have to put them in cast. And the men's group, usually, like, by the end of the week, I've got them all back to order. The women's group, when I run a women's group, I'm just, like, by the end of the week, I've now sent them off into an orbit of chaos that will last maybe up to three months or something of serious chaos. But that's where we grow. And I warn them, by the way. In the very intro, I say, you're going into chaos now. And, and I also commend them for the courage to go into chaos because if you want to grow in your life you're going to need chaos now here's something interesting is that institutions are about order or chaos institutions that's a pretty easy question total order and they're like they're going to impose order and keep out chaos and which can be um, very harmful for individuals because Tell me, if you run an organization or an institution, you want people to be more the same or more individualistic? As same. You want to sleep well, you want everyone to be as the same as possible. And so they're trying to create sameness. Uh, institutions generally try to create sameness. Now, have you ever met two people the same? There's no such thing as two people the same. Two fingers are not the same. Two fingers are not. So there's no such thing as sameness. And so while they're busy creating order, it's, it can be on the, at the expense of true education. Because if you were educating someone, are you trying to bring out who they are? Or are you trying to create them into something you want? Okay, it's a simple, uh, I, I, I would say it's a simple one. I'm trying to, to, to transform them into something you think is better. Okay, very good. But, but, you, but you're ultimately trying to bring out. Uh, also. Okay. You're trying to draw them out. Right, but there's a lot of education systems that are trying to hold you in. You get that? Anyone here? Raise your hand if you ever felt like your education system was trying to keep you in. <laughs> now, it's easy for you to judge those education systems, but you go try being a, uh, what do they call a minha hell, someone from hell. Okay, you go try being, you go try being a, a, an administrator and sleep at night. So it's, it's very interesting. That it's a tremendous challenge to run an organization 
that's there to educate people, which means to bring out what's special within them, while at the same time keeping your organization together because individuals are what make you lose sleep. This is a fun institution that's changed a lot since you were here in that, uh, in that chaos was like what it was all about, you know, like we just had so, every single person was his own little universe and it just was built for that. And what was really useful for that was you never had to worry about their parents because their parents hated the fact that their kid was studying in Israel. So you didn't have to please anyone. They're already extremely displeased. So, you know, the, who's your client? Who was your client, the student or the parents? The student. You didn't, you didn't even know the parents. Parents, like, would, wouldn't even call you. They hate you or something for having their kids studying in Israel. And the, the problem is, is when you have an education system, which is all the other education systems, and we've morphed our way over there, too, is when you actually have parents sending to you. Who's the client, the student or the parents? Who's the, cl- who's the true client? The parents or the client? Well, that's going to be pretty dangerous. Well, I don't want to say the word dangerous, but that's not going to be a good recipe for education. Like, if you're in a school, do you want to be the client or you want your parents to be the client? You want to be the client. You're the one in there. But if, if the administration is spending all their time trying to make sure the parents never get called, meaning, did I just say that? That the parents never call to complain, like, what in the world's going on over there? You know, so then what happens is you're not really educating. You're just keeping everybody in line so that you never have to hear from parents. You hear that? So it's really important we identify our clients. Okay, so the bottom line is we love chaos, but do we need order? Yeah, yeah we need order. We, we love chaos, we need order. And you, you ever felt that feeling where things were too chaotic and you really had to come back to order? You might feel it while traveling, like it's just like enough, like I want to get back to my, my routine because it's just too much. I felt that big time after the, the holidays. After the holidays, you know, I was throwing big parties and it was like... Yeah, the Chagim. I didn't know where I was. I, by, the end, by the time the holidays ended, and then I took my wife away. We went to the mountains for two days. And there, I didn't even know what time it was for a couple days. And, and it's our anniversary. We got married right after the holidays. So we, we hit 24 years. Yeah, miles of time. 24 years. Coming up on our... We had our tequila party, yeah. The tequila party, the Mexican fiesta. Yeah. I promised my neighbors that this would have been the last year. Yeah, they're just like, they're just like, what does that have to do with Sukkot? <laughs> we got like, like drunk people in my neighborhood wearing sombreros, you know, singing La Cucaracha, you know. So, no, no, thank God, thank God. St- stayed up. Some little kid at the end of Sukkot, we were done with the Sukkot, which is why it burned down, because no one was there. It was the, we were already back in the house for Simchas Teir, and like two hours before the holiday started, we, uh, and it, yeah, the sukkah, our sukkah went up in flames. Yeah. How do you get A security camera. Yeah, I was just like, yeah, yeah. there it is on fire. Yeah, it was a security camera. The weirdest thing is my brother wrote a song called Goodness Gracious, Gracious, My Sukkah's on Fire. 
which is really a funny, uh, really a funny sign. On purpose, this What? No, a little kid was playing with matches. He went in, he saw no one there, and I guess he found matches, or he had been. I don't know. You just on the security camera, you see a little kid run out, and then all of a sudden, like, smoke, and like... And then, yeah. I'm glad you guys think it was funny. We're still, I mean, this is the first year anyone even mentions it to us, because, like, now we can start laughing about it. But we had, like, 27 years and thousands of hours of handcrafted decoration in there. Even from like like my mother in 1991's uh, paper cuts, and, and I mean stuff that's like beyond irreplaceable, you know. Like, and we still haven't decorated. We, we meaning we haven't quite gotten over it. So like now it's very stately. It kind of looks like the Waldorf. It's got like curtains and ties and sashes, and it's like it looks like a hotel sukkah, <laughs> which looks great, right? It's fine. All everyone wants, anyway, is a draft beer and some music. So. That's still available. <laughs> How's it? You shake my rattle. You shake my ass again. You rattle my fruit. This ain't no lemon in a fancy suit. In a fancy suit. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> oh, no. You know this ass cost a lot of loot. It ain't no lemon in a fancy suit. Goodness gracious, my sucker's on fire. Anyway, so so we took the security camera video, put it on YouTube with my brother's song. But the craziest thing is the very last split second of the song is right when the security camera melts. I mean, the security camera melted in the heat. and But you literally see it like black out on the last note of the song. It's like, goodness gracious, my sucker's on fire. Da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> and then the, the camera melts. Like, like it was, you know, it's like three minutes and 21 and a half seconds. And it's like, gone. Sorry to remind you of that. Yeah, no problem. It's worse that your shalmis are like, the miracle of the sukkah. Like, everything has to be in a miracle if you're observant. So, you know, when you're a tour observant, like, whatever happens to you is a miracle. <laughs> Meaning the fact that we don't burn, you know, in the sukkah, right? It's a miracle. Of course, we weren't in the sukkah. So it's like, what's the miracle part? No, all I know is I lost my sukkah. <laughs> oh, the miracle. Every year someone reminds me of the miracle. They, they think I should be like uh, benching Gomel and like maybe I should ha- have a safer Torah written and throw a kiddish. You know, I'm just like, no, thank you. I'll just, I just like to get over it, you know. Okay, but anyway, about order is like, after this sukkah, I was ready for order, and but we gotta we we have to we have to look at our lives and make sure the order parts order and the chaos is chaos, and embrace that chaos. We're fine and be good with chaos, but also be be like come come back to order. Now, there's some people in this room who are too orderly. They're just overly ordered, and they're not really growing. The, uh, chaos scares them. There's people chaos scares them. Like, there are people, for example, who are afraid to do my seminar. I know these people that are afraid to come do the work I run. And it's all, I, most every one of them, they got a ton of excuses, but I know deep down, they're afraid to open it up, like you were saying. Like, they're afraid to open it up and get inside there and see what's going on. They know that's going to be chaotic to look inside. Okay. You know, I, what can I do? I got to 
plenty of other people want to do the seminar, so I'm like, okay, enjoy your life. Now, interestingly, marriage tends to take that stuff out. You should know, by the way. Um, what's your name? Shalom. Shalom, yeah. Sorry, I forgot. I haven't seen you in a little while. Marriage causes your chaos to come out. Meaning, when you're single, you can keep your life pretty much buttoned up. But there's something about marriage that makes, like, all your inner stuff start oozing out. And it, like, leaks all over your spouse. And your spouse is like, what is this stuff? You know, they're like, they're like your spouse is like, what was that? You know, because it's like... And, and you're, like, you're, like, covering up the leaky spot. You're like, I don't know. And then, so marriage just causes like major leaks, which is really beautiful about marriage is that, is that our real growth comes from marriage. Sometimes I give blessings to people who have been single for too long, in their opinion. Um, so you know what I tell them? I tell them, I bless you to finish the growth that you'll get as a single person. Because once you're finished with your growth as a single person, well, you're only put here to grow. So therefore, the only way you'll get to the next level is through marriage. You need to go through the crucible of marriage that will cause your growth. So, so you, you really want to make being, let's put it like this, if the world's about growth, you want to make being single obsolete. You want to make being single obsolete, that you, you can't grow anymore as a single person. You've done the max growth as a single person. The only growth you could get now is by being locked into a relationship because locked in relationships cause a lot of growth because there's no way out. There's no way out. And this is the danger. Are you guys married by any chance? No. Mazel tov. Wow, that's great news. Thank God. So you're you're in good shape. So anyway, um, the think what an insult it is to be in a boyfriend girlfriend relationship. What an insult it is. What are you ultimately saying to this person? You're saying this person, I'm not willing to commit to you, but I'll hang around until something better comes along. Or, or I'll hang around until I, I feel you're too much of a hassle to deal with. Because that's how people break up, is when it becomes too big a hassle. And there wasn't, a, there wasn't enough of a commitment to stick around. Why would I stick around if this person has become high maintenance for me? Now, the beauty of marriage, why we grow, is because there's no way out. I mean, there is a way out, but it's going to cost you about $50,000, and, and it's going to be like all hell's going to break loose, and you're going you're to say, like, they have a saying that the only, thing worse than, the only thing worse than a bad marriage is divorce. No, it's not true, but it is hell. <laughs> no one gets divorced and comes out okay, you know, meaning, which is good. You're thinking like, oh, that sounds terrible. No, it's good because you want to, you, your growth comes from places you're stuck in. We can't get out. Same thing with being Jewish. Like, how do you get out of that? You know, you're in, you're in. You're like, what are you going to do? There's nothing you can do. You can't get out of that. You can't convert out of Judaism. What if you know yourself? In marriage or Judaism? <laughs> or just in general? When you can't get out? We're on you can't get out. Well, a lot of people do that. Something you don't grow. Sure, a lot of people do that. Um, I mean, that subject's not really the subject we're on, but I'll answer it just because it's essentials. 
and you get to ask whatever you want in this class. So, oh good, the baby's back. So, we don't mind the little pipsqueak noises. The pipsqueak noises are great. I mean, if, it's a she? Yeah, no one would dare bring a boy into a class. Bam, bam, you know. So, anyway, uh, maybe turn the stroller a little bit so she can see me better. And then she might... There you go. Oh, there she goes. She wants raisins. Raisins, yeah, they're, they're a laxative. So, anyway, um, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, just to handle that for a minute, is uh, people who numb their emotions are... Um, it's like anything else in life. You, if you're into numbing, you you have to do do the economic. You got to play economy. What's economy? Economy is you always trade a lesser good for a greater good. So meaning for right now, maybe numbing is the greater good, and dealing with your issues is the lesser good. But how long is that going to last? That numbing is the greater good for anybody. There's a time for it. I mean, I can understand a guy who's just going to go drink a twelve pack of beer sometimes. You know. I understand that guy. And, and by the way, it may be the better move right now. Is just go drink a 12-pack of beer and use an Uber to get home. But uh, numbing's fine on the short term, but how's that going to be in the long term? What's going to cost more? So the answer is, is that someone who's numbing their emotions, numbing their inside pain, their inner pain, is going to be paying big time later. Big time later. So, so you just got to... It's math. Just do the math. You know, you did the math on buying that watch or your sweater or your... You do the math in buying that notebook or your cell phone or the cover for your cell phone. You, you always do math. We're always doing the math of which one's the better and which, which costs. What costs is better. When you buy the Coke, you're saying this five shekels is worth less and that Coke's worth more. You're always doing math. So some people are... Now, there's plenty of people doing really bad math. And that's why it's important when you're doing bad math is to project what's this going to look like if I keep going there. If I, if I keep playing that game, what's that going to look like? And what's going to ooze out of me when I get married? If I've been numbing my stuff, what's that going to look like when that all comes flying out, out of control, you know, in marriage? And so you, you say to yourself, you know what, this, it doesn't add up for me anymore. I've got, I'm going to have to get into a safe environment and let all that raw pain out. i got to let it all out and go for the full convulsive cry, you know, sobbing and, and let, you know, someone hold me while I, you know, just let it all go. So how do you do it? Do you encourage people that they numb themselves to go to this environment? To go to an environment where they can get it all out? Yeah, for sure. There's actually a, a men's... How do you get them there? Yeah, you know, I'm running a Hebrew seminar tonight. For men. (laughs) So, there's other tricks. You tell them it's to help someone else. You know other people in his life? Tell them that it will give them all the tools to help someone. And he should come for the other person. There's all kinds of tricks. It's not for you. Anyway, but but numb. Yeah, 
Well, you know, but he, you, he probably thinks you think he needs it. So maybe switch gears to he doesn't need it. It's just going to be good for somebody else if he has the information, as if there was a lot of information. Um, gentlemen, by the way, uh, all English-speaking men in the room, uh, I am running a seminar in three Sundays from today. I don't know what date that is, but I have three Sundays from now. I am running a men's seminar, which I haven't been doing very much lately. I've been traveling more for seminars. Um, I've got one in New York in November. I've got one here in three weeks for men. And there's another seminar run by a colleague of mine, which is a super intense seminar where you have no... It's also personal transformation work, but it's, it's called The Well of Being. You know, like well-being is the well. The well of being. And the well of being is happening now, too, for men. And that's... Uh, it's a three-day retreat. Three-day retreat. No watches, no phones. You don't know what time it is. I mean, just when you thought you had nothing left to cry out, your another bucket of water comes out of your body somehow. You know, and it's it's a real trip. That one. Mine's not like that. Mine's mine's a, more of a technology. This is a this is like really cry out all your stuff. That's going on. So if you're interested in that, be in touch with me. I can get in touch with. With that particular seminar. By the way, the reason, you, anyone notice how popular seminars are in the last decade or two? You know why that is? The reason that is is because um, as the generations go, we get less and less access to growth, like real growth. And so the access is getting less and less on our own. Meaning if you think you can read a book and be transformed, forget about it. You, you can't. It just won't work. Yeah, you'll get a good idea here, a good idea there. Maybe it'll pick you up for a day or two. But you're going right back down, though. You're, you're going right back into your patterns. So what's happening is we're living in a generation where you really got to put your whole body, you got to put like your whole being on the altar and just offer it up to some like seminar guru, which I've trained to be. I've got uh, over 8,000 graduates in 17 years of running my work. But you, and I'm not lacking participants. So like, you, none of you have to come to my seminar. I'm broke it's been full. But the, you can offer yourself, oh, you, you must offer yourself up to a personal growth guru and let them take you on your journey. Otherwise, forget about it. You're not going anywhere. And that's just the way it is. We're all stuck with seminars now. Like you can't, no book, you can save your money on books. Now, once you do a seminar, the books get more relevant. But till you've done a seminar, just save your money on books. You need to put yourselves, anyone here put themselves in the line of fire of a personal growth guru? He's done it, you've done it. Anyone else did it? You guys ever did it? It's intense. You have to worry about like problems, like, ever really call the shuffer? Sure, that had no problems. That, I heard that people were against that. There was problems with that. I'm not going to speak about it online, but it was a particular group had too many of their people in their group going to that seminar, and it got um, it got what's the word I'm looking for? Not at all. No, it got um, meaning. Doesn't our group fulfill everything everyone ever needed? Like, why are people outsourcing? You understand? Too many people from one particular group started going to this seminar. Clear? And they, um, 
and the group got, what's the word I'm looking at, insecure? The group itself, like leaders of the group were like, hey, don't we offer you everything you've ever needed? You know, like, why are you going somewhere else? Whereas, um, and by the way, I, I won't even take people from that group. I wouldn't even take people from that group because I saw what they did to this poor seminar. And, and I was like, whoa, like, I'm, like, stay away from those people. Now, meaning they literally attacked and did, a, did a, one of the most serious offenses, which is called character assassination, of, the, of a very simple Jew who led that group. They said it was like idol worship himself, right? Yeah, it was all a joke. It was a total joke. I know firsthand that it was, it was a total uh, uh, setup, you know, a media slam. Yeah, pretty horrible. Very sad chapter, and and Hashem uh, should protect anyone who Hashem should protect anyone who harms the reputation of the harmless. Right. Okay. Um, Anyway, so you should all get out there. Get out there and go to a seminar. The only thing I can warn Jews about is that, is that you have to be a little careful because seminar leaders, seminar leaders, if you're Jewish, seminar leaders aren't necessarily keeping Judaism. And you, you have to surrender to do the work. You understand? You've got to surrender totally or you're not going to get it. Like, you don't get it until you surrender. Once you surrender, all of a sudden you get these giant breakthroughs. But do you really want to be surrendering yourself in a situation with someone who doesn't know anything about Judaism or how your souls, Jewish souls, require a tremendous amount of protection? And we, we have, you guys think we have 613 commandments? No, we don't. We have 613 hyperlinks. You click on each commandment, it takes you to a website where you can just tape down the scroll button because this is going to keep going with thousands of laws. We actually counted the laws. You know how many laws there are? You know how much the 613 hyperlinks breaks into? 55,000 laws. That's what a Jew has to keep. Meaning you have to be a master of distinctions, of details, to live the life as a Jewish man or woman. So you want to put yourself on the altar, surrender totally to some amazing guru. It could be anyone, Tony Robbins or any of the other great ones out there. But they don't know the first thing about the protection of a Jewish soul. And you're, op- you're more open at that point. When you finish the seminar, you are more open to suggestion than like you've ever been in your life, which is a beautiful place to be if you can trust the one who's guiding you. But if you can't trust the one who's guiding you because he doesn't know the first thing about Jewish souls, so you got to be careful. I'm just saying, if you got, I'm not saying you can't go. I'm just saying you got to be careful careful where you go and and what you do with your graduation day there you know and like you know I've definitely I've had people call me saying they're already signed up they're going any last words I tell them so I'm like yeah last words are finish the program say goodbye you're not signing up for you know like they'll they'll put in like they'll literally put you spent like a lot of money you know you spent like whatever a grand or something They'll put like 30% marketing for their next level during your grant. Like while you're, while you're, they're teaching you, they're already selling you, you know, but join this. You know, they're already taking you for the next level. And so I tell them, finish the seminar, 
and say goodbye and just go back to your life and do not do not hang around there next level thing you want to go to the next level go to the next level just not now like get out of there reintegrate integrate everything you learned later you feel like they can help you see what you're going to do then okay any random questions now yeah I'm not sure what the seminars are what do you mean what they do every seminar does something different but what they do is they call you on your Scrap without the S. Yeah, they call you out. Big time. Now, you don't even know what your stuff is, young man. Okay. You don't even know your stuff. You think you know your stuff, but you're so in it. (laughs) Yeah, after a while. I mean, it's really hard to smell yourself, you know, when you have VO. I mean, there's ways to do that, but, but. You know, that's the whole, that's why everyone's so scared. You know, I think all deodorant companies are getting, you know, they're making their living off people's absolute fear (laughs) that they can't smell themselves. I've had to tell people because I smell the deodorant. I'd rather smell them than their deodorant. So I've had to tell people like, I'll let you know when you stink. Okay. I promise I'll let you know, but you've lost sight of this and you're just moving through deodorant sticks one after the other you know out of pure fear that you someone may smell you you know it's like let someone smell you once in a while to just get the right amount of deodorant going rather than you just wasting all your money in absolute terror of being smelled <laughs> sorry to bring this up um, but you know you understand we're so in it we can't see it. It'd be like, you know, it's like, you know, it's a good example is fish in an aquarium. Imagine you could interview a fish. Now, what they should be able to explain the most is water. I mean, they need it to survive. They spend their whole life in water. They should be good explainers of water, right? But can you imagine a fish trying to explain water? They're so in it, they can't see it. They don't have any context for it because it's, it's their very life. So our, you're in your stuff so deep that you, you don't even see it. And what's scary about that is that when you're trying to grow, let's say you're like trying to grow, and I'm using the word trying very specifically. When you're trying to grow, you realize you're trying to grow in your stuff while in it. You're in all kinds of stuff you don't even see, and then like, you know, trying to let everyone know how much you're growing. I'm into growth. But I've learned over the last couple decades that anyone who's trying to grow who's not putting themselves in the line of fire of somebody else, which in my sh- circles, it's our, my Rebbe, you know, this great Kabbalistic Rebbe who's like, he is not shy to fire, he will fire at me. If you don't put yourself in the line of fire of somebody who knows what they're doing and knows how to fire, you're, you're a joker, no offense, but your whole growth thing is a joke. It's a joke. If you're not putting yourself in the line of fire, you're just... You're, you're trying to create an image of someone who's into growth, but you're not really growing. So you gotta, you gotta put yourself out there and let someone, let someone try to blow you away. Four o'clock, by the way. Oh, thank you. Um, just one more thing I want to say is that there are <coughs> individuals, and it may be you. There are individuals who are like absolute personal growth freaks. They're one in like five hundred who can do it. 
Meaning, they, they see their own stuff. And they call themselves out. And they, and they, and they own it. They own it. And they're, they're, they're still putting themselves in the line of fire, people, but they actually can do it on their own. So there are people like that. So I don't want to say no one can. But, but they're like one in hundreds. One in hundreds is that guy. I'm not that guy, by the way. I, I used to fool myself thinking I was. I'm totally not. I need someone to whoop my behind, so to speak. I need someone to, to crack, crack, crack the whip. Is that what it is? I need someone to crack a whip to wake me up, which is another good thing about marriage is it's, it's often my wife. <laughs> and thank God she's not shy to let me know. Of course, it's much more painful to hear it from your spouse than, uh, than uh, someone you've actually elected in that role, you know, to have your spouse nail you. But, uh, but I, it's nice having a built-in person to rake me over the coals once in a while. Even though, I, you know, of course, I deny everything for about a day. And then, like, 24 hours later, I start to realize she's right, you know. And, and of course, it's total double standard. Gentlemen, never try this with your wife. Okay, your wife's always perfect. You never call her out on anything. You can send her away to some seminar, but you you stay out of it. Like she did, she's perfect. You know, she's absolutely perfect. There's, there's certain double standards in marriage that are funny. Like for example, if your wife's feeling cranky, every man has the right to pay no attention to her, <laughs> and they do. You, know, you just pay no attention. You just completely ignore them. When a man's feeling cranky, the wife's like, so you're feeling cranky? And, you know, and they'll like totally get into your headspace with you and like, like be there with you. And then, of course, she's feeling cranky a couple days later and you're just like, I'm leaving. <laughs> and she's like, I just totally was there for you while you were cranky. And you're like, that's nice. Goodbye. You know, I'll see you when you're feeling better. And, and, and there's other things like, for example... Offering comments of improvement, never do that with a woman. Never. But her doing it to you, always. You know, that, so there's all these double standards in marriage, which is fine. It's not, it's not a big deal. If you don't have to. Hmm? If you aware Yeah, you've got to be aware. You've got to be very aware on that. But yeah, definitely don't offer any improvement comments on your, for your spouse when you're married. Okay, um, we basically hit it. Uh, anyone, anyone here have a, uh, anyone here have a random uh, question or anything like just a point about today's class? Okay, it wasn't one of my like exciting classes. I, I apologize. Those who are used to my exciting classes, but uh, it just wasn't that class so today. So, how can you distinguish uh, what, you know, the real order in that? What's that? How, how can you be aware that you are going in the right way? Uh, uh, Regarding chaos and order? Yeah, so in general, in general, our lives are ordered. And what happens is the, the chaos, we, we, we naturally go towards chaos because we want to grow in, as people. So we'll naturally go towards chaos. But the second you start feeling insecure, it's time to pull back to order. <laughs> yeah, okay. Second you're feeling insecure, it's order time. Like I, by the end of the month of Tishrei, I was feeling insecure. I literally was feeling like, I don't know which way's up, which way's down, north, south, east, west. I'm feeling like, like a ship without a rudder. Like I don't have a steerer. And 
I knew I'm ready for order, big time. And I, that's why I was saying I'm so excited. The first thing I said when I walked in was how much I love the winter's mom, this winter period, because it's just much more order, and I need that right now. So you know, once you're feeling insecure, it's order time. And, and then those, there's those people who are just too orderly and too secure, and they need to put themselves out there and, and get themselves woken up, shaken up, uh, shake them up. Shalom, everybody. It was a pleasure, as usual. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.